This is a main hustle media podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the single simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back listening to Militantly Mixed. I would like to acknowledge that the Militantly Mixed podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Chumash and the Tongva people, and I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine, the busiest mixed race bisexual polyamorous atheist comic book nerd cat mom podcaster in this podcasting game. This is episode nine and I did skip last week. I did record something for last week, but last week was a very difficult week for me and I just wasn't able to really get things together to produce an episode that I was going to feel good about. And I recorded something else over the weekend that I wanted to put out. And that too, I, I just not quite where I want to be at for replacing last week's episode. But this week was already planned to share the audio from the live stream that we did on Thursday, September 17th. Another episode of the monthly live streams that we now do on the third Thursdays of every month, Militantly Mixed panel discussions, and this month we covered mental health while mixed. A lot of us are dealing with things related to our mental health, and I think even particularly now, it's probably a lot heavier of a load than we're used to because we're not only just dealing with our personal issues, we are also very much affected by the fact that there is still a global pandemic going on, the political climate and the global climate in terms of natural disasters and everything like that that's going on across all over the place. Here in California, we are dealing with fires and we had fires and earthquakes going on last week. It was it was it was a pretty crazy time. So, being able to check in with your mental health and take care of your mental health is a very important thing. You know, I talk about my own mental health on the show quite a bit and my issues with depression and anxiety. It will remain uh, it'll remain a topic that I believe is very important to us on this show, especially in how our mental health is impacted by our mixed race identity. So I got together with Dr. Jen Noble, who you've heard from before on an episode of Militantly Mixed, and counselor Brittany George, who you will hear from on a future episode of Militantly Mixed. And we discussed mental health while mixed, and it was really great to have an opportunity to speak to two professionals in the mental health industry that happen to also be mixed race identified people so that we can kind of talk about from an experience perspective what it's like to manage our mental health. Every third Thursday of the month going forward, I will be doing a live stream with some discussion of mixedness, a different topic under mixedness each time. So if you want a chance to watch the video, the actual video that is available on YouTube, on the YouTube Militantly Mixed channel, which I believe is just youtube.com slash Militantly Mixed, but YouTube may have thrown in a channel or a C or something in there. So you can always just go to YouTube and search Militantly Mixed to find the channel there. And the title of this live stream is Mental Health While Mixed. So you can search for that. 
if you want to watch the actual video. If not, and you're on your commute and you wanted to hear everything that we talked about, it is going to be here for you today. Now, I've been saying that I was going to address information about the logo update. I also have some things that I want to speak about related to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And um, I'm tabling my hair journey episode until a later date just because there's a lot going on right now. And I would rather be in a joyful mind state when I actually record that because the journey has been joyful, but the rest of the life really hasn't been. So I feel like it's impacting my ability to produce that episode well. So I'm going to table that for a couple of weeks and then try to get back into it. So if I'm able to, I will try to record a midweek episode for you to address those things that I've been saying on social media that I would be addressing. And if not, it will get pushed to next week. It is a very hectic time, very busy time. And there may be a couple of breaks through the show over the next couple of months just because of how hectic things are on the Fury family side. So um, bear with me and I will keep communicating through social media and the show to let you know what's going on. As you know, Militantly Mix is a fan-sponsored podcast, and if you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed and support the show as low as a dollar to as high as anything you wish. It is a monthly sponsorship, and there are different rewards depending on what level you choose. If you would also like to support the show, but you don't wish to do a monthly commitment, you can go to paypal.me slash militantlymixed and drop some coins in that tip jar as well. If you forget how to access the sponsorship, but you want to get back to it, those links are always in the show notes on whatever podcatcher it is that you're listening to the show on, or you can just go directly to militantlymix.com and there is a donate tab there for you that shows you how to support. I do want to shout out a new Patreon sponsor this month, and I hope I'm pronouncing the name correctly because you know that's important to me to make sure. So if I do pronounce your name incorrectly, please holler at me and send me a pronunciation key and I will correct it because uh, our names are important. But I do want to shout out to uh, P.U. Dasgupta for their sponsorship through Patreon. I really appreciate you. And for any of the Patreon sponsors that are waiting for a reward, a swag reward from me, those are being delayed. I did send a message out through Patreon to let you know that it's going to be delayed until I can replace it with the new logo. So um, for those of you who are expecting a sticker, those are going to be the first things that come through. Buttons will follow, but I need to wait a couple weeks before I can afford to buy those. And t-shirts and things like that will come as well. So if I owe you something, it's coming. It just may be delayed a month or two until I can afford to get that going. But I'll talk more about that on the next episode of Militantly Mix where I address the uh, update relating to the logo. I don't want to keep up too much of your time because this is going to be an an hour-long discussion for the audio from the live stream. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming our cousins, welcoming back Dr. Jen Noble, and welcoming Brittany George for the first time to the Militantly Mix family.
All right. So this is the second Militantly Mixed panel discussion live stream that we're going to be doing every third Thursday of every month going forward. And we will address a different topic for every single panel discussion. This one is Mental Health While Mixed, which if you're familiar with the show, you know it's something I'm very passionate about. I always address my own mental health on the show, and a lot of times it comes up for our guests as well. And we are with Dr. Jennifer Noble, who you should all be familiar with from a previous episode of Militantly Mixed. Hello, Dr. Jenna. Um, and we're also joined by Counselor Brittany George, who has not yet been on the show, but will be, And but is a part of the Militantly Mixed community, um, been a part of a few things. So why don't you both introduce yourself? We'll start with Dr. Jen, and then we'll get into it. Um, all right. Well, I'm Dr. Jen, and uh, I am a psychologist out here in Los Angeles. I, um, I'm born and raised in Cali, so I'm a native here, but I have a private practice that um, deals mainly with adolescents, so race teens and their parents, women of color, um, and then, you know, any other marginalized community. And I also am an instructor at a local community college. I teach psychology, various classes in psychology. And yeah, that's about it. I'm working on a program for parents of mixed race teens. So um, that's just the coaching side of what I do. But other than that, I have been an advocate in the mixed race community for a long, long time since college, just because of my own, you know, identity journey and, and interest in it. So I'm super excited to talk about this with you guys. Awesome. Thank you. And Brittany? Yes, thank you so much. My name is Brittany George, and I'm the founder of Mixed Mental Health. Um, I have a private practice as well, specifically helping um, mixed race women heal through their identity journey and really just generally their mental health. Um, this is something that is near and dear to my heart, obviously, because I'm a mixed person and I've had my own journey as we do. <laughs> um, and yeah, I've actually uh, just finished creating a one-year program uh, for mixed race women and that is really uh, taking them through all parts of um, identity exploration, understanding how mental health um, is affecting them in their daily life, and room, room to chat, room to grow, and uh, yeah, really just room to align and uh, get to know, know themselves better and build confidence. Awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, you'll see me on um, Instagram at Mixed Mental Health and on these on these things <laughs> yeah. So one thing that I wanted to do specifically with this particular panel discussion is, uh, you know, offering multiple perspectives of mental health related to our mixedness. Um, we did get a question or more, I guess, sort of a statement through one of the posts on Instagram, which was about, you know, how I, I can read a portion of it because there there is um there is a little bit to it, but uh, this particular person, their handle is Amy Hardingson. Um, they asked about, I'm trying to read it a little bit fast. Um, they said that they've never really met anybody from their same kind of mixed background. Um, they're both sides of their family is Anglo, 
Anglo-Indian, Anglo-Burmese, and of all their grandparents, everybody is basically somebody different. Their families didn't really stay that much in contact, but at a a, a funeral for a grandparent recently, it was the first time they really saw other people who looked like them, who also happened to be related, and it occurred to them this idea of like comfort in a space where people actually look like you, which is something that comes up on the show all the time. A lot of us don't have people who look like us, even sometimes within our own family. And just curious about what we think that does to us as mixed race people with relation to our our mental health. So um, I thought we might start a little bit on that and then we can kind of get into some more things. Uh-huh. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. No, I think um, from my perspective and just generally um, like psychologically, we look for people that look like us for safety. Um, And safety is one of those things that is incredibly important for growth, for um, expansion and and all of the in-between. And growing up, I know I've had that same experience. I grew up in a uh, predominantly white family. Uh, my grandfather is Syrian and um, he was the only dark skinned or darker skinned person in my life. And um, even though I knew I belonged to this family, it was still uh, very different when I started exploring my own identity and starting to make connections with uh, the mixed community. So yeah, I can see how that's a big thing for sure. And just being able to come to that realization of like, oh, (laughs) there are other people that look like me and I do belong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I think it's, um, I think it's really interesting that at least for her, she got to feel that in her own family. Because like yeah. said, a lot of us don't don't look like our own our own parents. Mm-hmm. I um so I think that's I think that's you know in a way it may not I don't know if it felt like that for her, but I think it's a little bit lucky to be like, oh okay, like I literally do belong because here is my family and they look like me and now I see where my facial features fit in or whatever. Um, but I do think for mixed race folks, especially, you know, because I remember the beginning of that question when you and I were kind of talking about it before we live, she's, you know, kind of saying, I really never met someone that has my skin mixed. Mm-hmm. I think that for, for certain mixed race folks that have more, you know, uncommon, if you will, um, mixes, it, it really is like um, a really powerful experience to meet someone that is your exact same mix um, because you really are for a long period of time kind of thinking like, am I the only one? Or like my parents were the only two of this group that got together. <laughs> so I, I know for me, you know, um, I can meet people that are like close to my mix. It's pretty rare for, for me to meet someone that's exactly my mix. So when I do, and you know, I tell people this, but like, it's kind of like this is the craziest I've ever been where um, people will like, let's say I have a friend and they're like, oh, like they know. Oh, yeah, I heard. I know you're you know, you're black and Sri Lankan. I saw this like chef online and, and they're like my Facebook friend and they're 
you know, Black and Sri Lankan too. Do you know them? No, but what's their name? I'm yeah. about to. I'm like, about to know them. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm saying like that's. I've never been that kind of person, but I'm like. Uh, I heard. I heard this is your mix. Do you want to meet up? And what's crazy is every time I do that, they're like, "Oh my God, yes!" Yeah. Like we've right. never met each other, and 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 just on that alone, they're like, "What time are you free? We are going to meet up for lunch and just be like, wow, you know." It is pretty crazy, the sense of this need for community that we, I feel like we don't realize we need it until we get almost access to it or we get access to people that are similar to us, whether it's just mixed people in general or actually people that share a similar mix to us. It's that instant, like, I'm not going to be the only one because even in my own family, like with my sibling, my full-blooded sibling, we don't identify the same. And so that part, like, okay, I'm really in this alone then, you know, there's no other black Japanese, Caucasian, British people out there. I'm not related to that also identify hierarchically the way that I do, you know, so I'm the only one, even if they're probably are a handful, but then you meet something even close. Like if I meet a black Brit or if I meet a a black Japanese or even like uh, Dr. Jen, when you and I first start, it was just the Blasian element. All was like, okay, we're in the wheelhouse. We're getting, we're getting closer. You know, it, you know, and that, that sense of there's somebody kind of like me. It, I, I wish I had a way of describing it. It's almost the reverse of feeling special. You know how when you're you, there is something unique and people try to make you feel special because of it. It's almost the opposite of that because right. you're unique, you're not special or there's nothing. Yeah, no, it normalizes it. You're right. It, it right. normalizes you a little bit because on some level, if you're unique and you're literally the only one, there is something um, isolating about that. But then when you can find someone else as close to you, it's, it normalizes like, okay, I can still be unique, but I'm not like the oddball or I don't yeah. know, whatever that word is that might have that negative slant. You kind of bring it back into like, Oh, okay. Other people do this. We're, we're all unique. And we all now, you know, kind of, it's okay. Type of thing. Do you mm-hmm. think we crave a monolith? Like, in general, so one thing is we, at least everybody in this panel, we all have blackness in some form or another within within all of us. Um, and so there's times when we're either put into monolithic thoughts process or sometimes as mixed people because we aren't enough of mm. we kind of crave some of that monolithicness. Do you think that that mm. has an impact on us in terms of like our value as mixed people and how that affects us? in terms of confidence and self-esteem related to our mixedness? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, I looked like you were going to speak, so I was like, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I was just thinking on that on my own experience and kind of how that works. But uh, yeah, I think there's there's definitely a vein of that for sure. And of course, everybody's experience is going to be different and, you know, whatever you kind of go through and whatever you deal with, it's going to shape your perspective. But I definitely think that that is a, that's a thing for sure. Most definitely. Yeah. I I think, you know, wanting, I mean, I think it just goes back to the idea of belonging. If you, if you know, if there was a monolith and these are the 10 things that you're supposed to do in this group, and you do them all, then you know you belong. And, you know, so it's just kind of simple like that. So it does, it simplifies things, you know, and it makes us feel like, okay, I don't have to, 
I don't have to, you know, question this thing. I know I do this, 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 and this. And they said that that's what those people does. So if I do it, that means that's what I want. And the end, you know. For Yeah, for so, But mixed race people are already like, well, but that's not really true. And Or like maybe within their own family, they can be like, okay, well, yeah, but I have a family member that does this, this, and this, and they're still that. And, well, then I exist and I do this, this, and this, but I'm this and that. and Right. Know, so I had an experience like that where a bunch of friends got together to play a virtual version of Black Card Revoked. And um, well, so we all had the, the host was the center point of all of us, but some of us knew each other. Some of us didn't. And Black Card Revoked can be very dangerous in a group because there's some elements that are like so ingrained that you are ready to dig so hard in on that um, there were things that were starting to make me realize that some of the stuff that we were talking about was regional. And so like the Southern black folks could dig in, whereas like the California black folks couldn't necessarily, or, you know, vice versa. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that, that could come down to like calling it a screen door, you know, because there was one card about like slamming a screen door, like what happens if you go through the screen door? And there were different names that people were like, what's the screen door? So then we ended up having a 15 minute fight over what to call the door. And and then that turned into, well, you're not black because we call it this and you call it that or whatever. And I was like, is this a West Coast Southern like thing or whatever? So I think the version of that is like this craving for community and for connection and, and and not feeling in isolation can sometimes backfire when you really feel like I've checked these, I've checked seven out of the 10 boxes. Yeah. Why don't I have my black card or yeah. you know, whatever, whatever the thing is. And I noticed that over the course of the time doing this show where, or my growth has come in is me re- releasing some of that uh, monolith stuff that I didn't realize I was internalizing because of the way that I grew up. I was, you know, blackness was very specific and mixedness was very specific. And I had to adopt the mixedness of black, white, biracial folks, even though that's not necessarily my mix, because those were the only other mixed people around me. Mm. And so I wondered, like now that I've spoken to so many other mixed people and I've gotten a chance to see different perspectives, that impact on us of like that one time you step out of pocket <laughs> and you're not coding however it is, or even your mixedness is being called into question by mixed people or something yeah. like that. I wonder if that impact um, weathers away at us in terms of our, you know, again, confidence, self-esteem, everything that we wrap up in our mixedness. I think it, I think it can, but to me, the way my brain thinks is like, if it starts to get connected, if if this idea of belonging and and feeling like you belong starts to get connected to confidence, self-esteem, and other things like that, then it makes me question like what 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 else came before that what messaging left this person where belonging is my answer to all of that. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, yeah, it's not, I just don't think being mixed itself leads to the lower Mm -hmm. confidence or lower self-esteem. There, there has to be something else that was missing. And then this person thought, Oh, maybe this is why, or maybe this is how I solved it. You know what I mean? Because there's just so many other mixed people that are like, 
this is not a question for me. Right. And and this is not an this does not impact my self-esteem or not. Like I just saw a question on Instagram and I was just marveling at like all the different responses. Mm-hmm. Just if if you are if you are black, white, mixed, but basically white passing, mm-hmm. can you identify as black? Mm. I'm like Hell yeah, you can. That's what you are. Like nobody needs to. Well, you don't look at like. Well, that's the whole issue here. Is yeah. you don't get to decide what you look like and what you are. So, but it was so fascinating to see different people saying, you know, I've been struggling with that my whole life, and other people saying, well, yes, I can, and and I finally realize that now, and. Um, I mean, that that's what you're kind of talking about. And so for me, for someone that says, essentially, well, I've been struggling because other people wouldn't let me mm-hmm. all my life. That to me says someone over here didn't, didn't prepare you in such a way that you're like, I don't need your permission. Yeah. Like, right. I, you don't make me who I am. Right. So to me, to say that you were struggling means you've been looking for it out of here and didn't have it. Getting it. Yeah. You know? so that's my thought about it. That's something you, you and I talked about on your episode. Um, we kind of got into that idea of something that the underlying things that are contributing to the way we feel about stuff. So that's actually something that would be really nice to, to kind of get into. Um, w- and again, not to not to claim a monolith for us, but a, a common thread that I hear throughout the show is that feeling of needing validation and needing other people external to us to tell us that it's okay for us to be black or to be Asian or to be Latinx or you know whatever the mix is that that we we get to be, and we need someone who identifies as a monoracial person of those ethnic groups to give us that but it really has more to do with what we're missing at home what what wasn't happening in terms of like raising us to be you know a full realized person um that that is informing some of that that craving that we have It, it just seems to be something that comes up so often on the show and uh, of course I can relate to it as a mixed person but also mm-hmm. breaks my heart every time I hear another person have that experience Brittany do you see that at all in your um because you specifically work with women yes mm-hmm. and so I imagine with women we have I mean we have stacks on stacks of other issues too that we're dealing with too right. but we do <laughs> So true, so true. And I mean, I can only speak from my experience, but um, I've had conversations with all types of women about their childhood, their upbringing, kind of what was happening in terms of their household and their family of origin. And I can relate personally as well, where there wasn't um, any kind of conversation or literature or um, explanation as to, okay, you're going to step outside of this, this family and there are going to be people that accept you, like you, dislike you, whatever it might be. And it has something to do with the way that you look and the way that you present and all of those kinds of things. And I think as a society, we, well, I know for sure that um, we look for that outside. 
that outside validation, just generally as human beings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then let's add on the layer of being a woman and um, trying to fit into those societal norms as a woman. And then let's add on top of that being mixed and really not knowing or most likely not knowing how to navigate that um, outside of your family. And Especially since societal norms tend to be geared towards a white woman's norm. Be it our body, our beauty, fill in the blank. Yes. And if not, if you don't, really what you're saying is not only are they the standard for beauty, but then every other woman usually has a specific look that then is really tied to their culture. And so if a mixed woman doesn't look like the other groups or whatever there, you can't just be in between. I mean, there's a lot of research that talks about women being like the culture um, carriers of a generation. And so there must be a lot more pressure, I think, on women to not only carry the culture forward, but then to look like whatever culture they're supposed to be carrying forward. So I think that's where a lot of that discussion of like, well, I, people think I'm white. So then if I want to carry my black culture forward, somehow I feel like I can't do that. That's not, I mean, I understand where that comes from. And I think that's a pressure that women fight a lot more than mixed men fight. Um, Because many times the questions of, I didn't get the validation or I'm not allowed to, um, you know, they didn't allow me to claim this thing. It's really only whatever you don't look like. Yeah. Right. It's never like if you look Asian, you don't get the question. You don't get the, well, you don't get to be Asian. It's like only when you don't look Asian enough, then there's the, so there's something about that putting it apart and then you yeah. like, that's the woman you're going to be you got to look like it and then you carry it forward mm-hmm. yeah. look like it act like it yeah don't, don't jump outside of your box because then you might be you know told this or that or reprimanded or you know whatever the consequence is yeah and then it's like we're jumping back into those boxes again and yeah. as I totally I understand in a way that is it helps the brain to figure out things when we compartmentalize and we bring everything into that, um, that streamline, but we're human beings. (laughs) No, we're not a bunch of pens and pencils that needs to be here, here, and here. We're human beings. And it's like, why can we not span all of those things? And how amazing and inclusive would it be if we could just, Mm-hmm. naturally do that mm-hmm. so you mentioned earlier Brittany um, that you grew up predominantly around your white family um, so that that's also something that comes up often is if we if we don't get to split evenly across all the things that we're, we're mixed with culturally when you're the one that doesn't look like everybody mm-hmm. the impact that that has as, and I know I'm a big old hand talker I don't know what's wrong with me um, but like the impact that that Oh, in terms of just like generally do again going back to do I fit and am am I okay and I think also worth 
comes into play at that point too. Am I worthy of the affection of my family? Am I worthy of the acknowledgement of people um, because I don't look like anybody else? Do you, um, I guess in, I, we can go first with it in your own experience, but then also maybe what y'all have seen in your practices as well. Does that come up with people in terms of, of value or how they maneuver spaces because they don't maybe appear near to what the rest of their family does or just in general, they only grew up with one side? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll go from my experience and then I'll talk a bit about um, what I've seen in practice. Uh, for myself, it was kind of interesting growing up because my family adopted the mantra of um, we don't see you as any different. Mm. <laughs> I like it already. I know. <laughs> right. Double-edged yeah. sword. Double-edged sword. Um, the great side is the fact that there's that inclusive inclusivity no matter what. Doesn't right. matter what you look like, what you sound like, your hair, your like anything. Doesn't matter. And then the other side of it is the um the lack of acknowledgement mm. of that I am different and I'm going to have very different experiences from the rest of my family. And um, in my experience, I believe they're coming from a place of love and caring and and trying to really just um, allow me to express who I was no matter what was happening or what was going on or who I was or who they were and all of those things. Um, And I really appreciated that. But then there's the, you know, the outside view of things where it's like, okay, this is great in my family of origin. And because I grew up with like 90% of my family members are white, that's great. But then there's the other side of it when you step out into the real world and it's like, okay, this is really different. And people are saying and doing things that like, are really confusing because I thought I was just like you and just like you and just like this right. So that was really interesting for me because it was an actual awakening to the fact that I was different and uh, that didn't come for like a very long time, <laughs> like a very long time. And I find, or I have found myself slipping back into that uh, in previous years since I had awakened to that kind of um, realization. And then in terms of practice, um, yes, this comes up all the time. Um, it comes up and it's like really greatly for um, mixed people that present white mm. um, and just <laughs> trying to navigate the family dynamics, trying to navigate the friendships, trying to navigate all kinds of different things and, um, you know, really questioning yourself and questioning what's going on for you and, you know, all of those kinds of things. So, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. And um, I still live in a predominantly white uh, neighborhood in the suburb. Um, I live in Vancouver, Canada, and it is on the West coast of Canada. And, um, you know, we're known for being a melting pot of all kinds of different ethnicities and backgrounds and all of that kind of thing, which is great. But there's also that um, separation as well, because it's more mm-hmm. like 
groups of different ethnicities mm-hmm. kind right. of stick to their own. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Jen, in terms of like um, the teenage, the adolescence and the the yeah. time period in which we are discovering ourselves as people in general and then throw in on top of it that, that, that we're mixed race children, how, how is any kind of, uh, well, I guess, how are you supporting people that are in that transitional period of their life in, in terms yeah. of their mixed identity? Yeah, I mean, that to me is really, I, that's a I don't know. I have a lot of interest in that. It's like where I get really passionate because I think that is the beginning of a lot of those questions that then still show up in adulthood for mixed race folks. Like I can work with a woman who, you know, might be over 30, let's say a mixed race woman over 30 who is still asking those questions. And when you explore a little bit, it's like, well, in my adolescence, Mm. As that's when I real, you know, everybody told me I wasn't this or that. I, you know, that's when they first started to experience the like belonging or lack of belonging or that I can't be in that group or I'm not enough of that group. And what they often talk about is that there was no one really helping them navigate that. Mm. So, um, and it's not, not as in we refuse to help you. It's just that (laughs) they weren't telling. Lack of knowledge. Yeah. And then if if the parents heard something, the parents didn't really know what to say, or they would do like what Brittany says, like, Oh, ignore them. You're no different than anybody. You know what? You are a beautiful human. And the kid's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah." (laughs) You know, um, there's also the version of that. That is the, Oh, you're not like the rest of them, which I have had guests on the show who have said that like their white family is really supportive of them specifically, but not the rest of them. And that is a whole other, you know, problem. I mean, and that's really important because you don't, I, I, you can certainly have like an interracial couple where maybe that parent of color really has to begin to grapple with what does it mean for me that I, I, let's say it's um, interracial couple. One of the, one of the um, partners is white. So that partner of color may have to really grapple with, oh, why did I get with this, you know, white person? Happened to me. Well, you know, a lot of times it's just we just fell in love and they're cool, I'm cool, and actually I thought a lot about it. And I'm, but sometimes, especially if you find that a parent is agreeing with other family members, like, yeah, well, we're better because, or you're mm-hmm. better because, mm-hmm. whoa, like, hold on, that yeah. there's a whole bunch of other stuff to untangle, um, especially for that kid, because now you're going to have some internalized racism that now you've pass on to the kid because they walk around like I'm you know I'm I'm whatever and white which makes me better than or separate from and you don't want that list yeah. you know? but I do think that it is um, to me it's important just to kind of at least help the kids start thinking about that in their teenage years. Um, For me specifically, I love to get the parents on board as well. Like I said, because I feel like parents are spending the most time with their teenagers. And if, if they can at least have a little bit more words to say and a little bit other things to throw out for their teen, I just see a humongous difference um, with that teen versus the teen. That's like, I can't, my parents won't go there. You can still do good work with that team, but like if you could just get the parents to kind of acknowledge 
um, whatever they can. And that teen is like, okay, you guys are, you guys see this and you're on board and maybe you don't know my experience and you never will, but at least I know mm-hmm. you're not like erasing me. You see me, you get it. And now I feel a little bit stronger to like go out and be both and maybe speak more openly to my friends that are like, oh, you're black. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I am. I know I look like whatever, or my hair is that da, 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 but I am, you know. Yeah. I, I have a, um, I work with a teen that does not look like, I'm trying to keep it vague, right? So <laughs> the student group at school that she wanted to join, she doesn't look like that group. It's a minority group, right? So she doesn't look like, she looks, to me, she does. But most people are going to look and be like, are you that? And mm-hmm. she, because her parents are on board, they're doing their best. You know what I mean? They try to be vocal about it. And they're like, look, this is just what our family looks like. She walks, she can walk into that club meeting and be like, here from a club meeting, you know, and then those yeah. some of the people are like, are you in the right room? You know, like that kind of thing. She's like, yep. And I'm going to sit down and you're going to be all right. And yes, it feels a little bit weird. if I don't know you. And you're just sitting there staring at me. But she in her soul is like, I want to be here because this is important to me. And I don't care what you think, because I know who my parents are. And you're, you know, you'll adjust. And I, I would love, you know, because oh, there's so many teams that are like, I can't go, or I went in and they all stared at me, and I, mm-hmm. so I just left, and they don't want me there, and they never accepted me, and I don't. That's not fair, you know? right? That that's uh, why I say it tells me that there was something missing before, because you know what I mean. That any, right. there should be no reason why you can't just go and come and be like, yeah, <laughs> look at this you, like, why are you? Right. Here? Yeah, right. So I'm an MGM, a multi-generational uh, mixed person, also MGM mixed girl me. Um, but uh, but both my parents were biracial, white and Japanese mom, black and, and white dad. Uh, but their issues never translated down to me. Well, they probably did unconsciously, but we didn't talk about race as if we were mixed people. We talked about race as if like if we were living in a black community what is my role in blackness or, you know, my dad kind of being sort of my dad being the black parent also being kind of anti-black and yet only putting us in black spaces and telling us what not to be. Um, whole nother, that's another episode of Militantly Mixed. Um, but then, you know, whereas my, my Japanese and white mom who looks very white, hates white people and would, um, I guess the same problem, self-loathing, just in a different, just yeah. just in the flip side of it, but couldn't really identify as Japanese either because she didn't embrace the culture. She identified as black, even though she wasn't. That's why she had black kids. So my whole deal was always like, they weren't helping inform my mixedness. Yeah. They were informing, I was just seeing their confusion about whatever they had going on and so i had to deal i had to come up myself and figure it out yeah Um, luckily i was empowered enough to be the kind of person like you will see my blackness you you will you will accept my blackness and i find that as an adult woman sometimes this is the time when i'm actually questioning whether or not it's comfortable for me to proclaim my blackness in certain spaces especially right now um i'm in a lot of uh, black small business owner groups and things like that. And there's times when I feel like I, I, I need to declare that I'm mixed black mm. because I don't want them to see 
your phenotype yeah and just like are you enough of or whatever the are you enough of happens way more to me now online than it happens to me in person in person i'm gonna say the words i get to be black online i don't and i i'm wondering if that's another level to like how we learn to embrace ourselves as mixed race people um if there's spaces in which it's a lot easier to to be um to declare what we are like i'm really excited and empowered by hearing the story of the student that is just like oh no i'm here and you i'm gonna be here do you do no, you belong I got, here I got, a lot of stories. Like, I got this other kid she is 13 schooling her white grandmother on all things black lives matter police yes. i mean i was like what you know go i mean that's and the grandmother's like, oh, wait, uh, well, um, she's like, no, actually, because, and another thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's great. I love radicalness. Yeah, but they have support from people, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Going back to something, Dr. Jen, that you and I talked about uh, on your episode, and I think all I think all three of us have had in separate conversations a version of this. Um, you actually declare yourself as a mixed race advocate, and I I have to admit I have basically stolen that ever since you said it to me because I hadn't ever really thought about the work that I'm doing through the show as advocacy, and yet it it really is so totally stole it. Um, how do you? employ your advocacy both in your practice and just sort of as you're walking around in the world and then for Brittany same type of deal like do you feel like there's advocacy in the work that you're doing for mixes yeah so how do I employ my I mean I I can't not I guess that's the way I, I look at it almost in everything I do I'm it's just a way for me to like assert myself, I suppose, like my full self. So definitely in my, of course, in my private practice, even in my teaching, you know, it's regular community class, you know, community college class, all types of people are taking the class, but any chance I get, I will put in stuff about mixed race. So like if we're, if it's my child development class and we're talking about identity I'll do the general, here's what your textbook is saying. And this person said that. And like, did you also know? (laughs) Because I'm like, I know somebody in my classroom is mixed race. And it's not in your textbook, but I'm about to tell you about it. And, you know, I might even have a test question about it because I feel like you should know. And there's every once in a while, there's always a student that like you can see it on their face when I put up the slide and they're mixed. They're like, like, oh, my God, that's. That's me. like you can I, like most yes. of them. I, sometimes I can already tell. Like I can. I work with so many mixed race people. I'm like you're probably mixed. You're probably mixed. Some of them I probably don't know because you you just can't always tell. But sometimes you can see that face where they're like or they're like nodding like yeah like I I felt like that before and I'm like see Man, that's well, that that's tell weird. you that would have that would have just. Yeah. It would have been church. Like I'm an atheist, but I would have been like, yeah, like I've been raising my hand. I would have been it so does, excited. Anything it does like happen. That. Yeah. yeah. Like so for me, when I can slip it in, I will. And you always, I mean, again, like, like you guys are nodding and stuff. Like there is always that one student that might've been like super quiet. And now they feel empowered to be like, yeah, because they say this or they think that, or my mom always. And I'm like, exactly. She speak on it because 
Now the rest of the class, like to me, that's why I say advocate because a lot of times it's um, mixed race folks talking to mixed race folks and which is great and fine we need the community. But I, I feel like it starts to become like preaching to the choir, which I don't want to do because the whole reason we need to talk to each other about whatever is because the rest of these folks don't know. And they keep saying this stuff and putting us in the boxes and blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, we need to <laughs> turn this way and be like, can you please stop? So for me, if I'm in class, you know, and I bring up like whatever, 10 minutes of a lecture on mixed race something, there's a whole bunch of monoracial people in class that now have to, are forced to think about it. They're forced to be like, have I done that? Do no, I never, oh yeah, my cousin is mixed, you know, and, and hopefully have some impact that way. To me, that's advocacy because I get to get to the people that probably won't ever think about it because of their monoracial privilege. You know what I mean? Bernie? Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's so great. And I just love the fact that you're using your platform in that way as a, as an educator and just like, ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just get lost in that mesmerized right there's just sometimes that someone says something and you're just like oh if i was in the room like you just want to have the moment you're glad that it's happening for i'm i'm glad that there's a mixed kid in that class that's just like oh me thank you you know even if they're a shy person like i'm glad right. for that the, yeah. at the same time i'm like damn it I want, I want that. <laughs> I'm going to Where was that? Yes. Yeah. So, well, very much like you, Jen, um, it is about asserting myself. I am most often the only mixed race person in the room. Mm. Um, so if there's a teaching moment or a moment where I can instill um, some information or correct something or enlighten somebody about my own experience and the experience of other mixed people, then I am on it. Yeah. <laughs> right there on it. Like, I feel like okay, that's my, that's my entry. That's my invitation to kind of bring this forward. Um, and especially the climate that we're in right now with everything going on, it's like, you know, those opportunities are coming. Like you would not believe, I'm sure you guys are experiencing the same. So, and in my practice, my practice started out as a, just a general counseling practice. So I would see whoever needed um, any kind of counseling help, mental health related, all of those kinds of things. And then I realized that, you know, as I was going through my own identity journey, how incredibly amazing it would have been for someone to be there with me going through and guiding me and um, supporting me in that kind of way. Mm. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm an expert <laughs> on being mixed. I know it. I'm living it every single day. And why can I not pair that with, um, you know, my, my counseling degree and um, all the research that I've done and all of the, you know, hours that I've spent um, 
speaking to other mixed people and it just made sense to me. It made sense in so many levels and it's a, a different comfortability when you're speaking to another mixed person and mm-hmm. like this heads are knocking off our shoulders <laughs> like it's hard not to get excited because um you know there's that there's that main vein there's that real um connection and i think you know it is also important for um the people in you know in our seats and what we do to pivot and also to allow um other people that are interested or or needing to know or wanting to know kind of what goes on. Like I get messages all the time from, from moms of mixed race kids asking to like, okay, like what can I do? What can I say? How can I support and all these kinds of things? And it's like, well, you know, continue to follow me on Instagram because there's going to be information and stuff that's that's up there. Maybe not specifically for children, but as an adult, you can kind of take you know what you need to take and help them in those in those ways. And um, yeah, I <laughs> I get all kinds of mothers coming forward to me and asking that, and it's like. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad to share some information and also um, make that connection so the next generation can feel uplifted and confident mm-hmm. and they can feel like, um, you know, no one's going to tell them where they belong. They are going to just feel it and mm. that's like that's that's for the little girl inside of me <laughs> I mean that's a real what yes because a lot of what I'm doing even with the show is is I'm filling a void that I that wasn't filled when I was younger like I I didn't have a community space in which I could exist in my mixedness mm. um so I created a community space and I just hoped people would show up. But it's just like, hi, you know, like, come on over. And, you know, it's worked. And so now I'm starting to get that. And I think um, the more that we insert our mixedness into the kind of work we do, whatever the work is that we do, that's, I think, where the advocacy comes in. Like, you know, Jen, with you saying it in your classroom, I mean, like from, again, I'm still kind of excited that that is existing somewhere whereas like just casually in, in some case if someone mentions that they're mixed or anything like that and it's just this instant like hi we'll talk later you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, feels really good and I think the more that we start to do that because uh, you said something Brittany that made me think of this sometimes it is just awareness right it's just like a mom may may directly ask you the question, what can I say to help support my child or, or to, to show them my child I've seen them? And sometimes it, it is just saying, um, as a mixed person, I get told that I look exotic a lot and I can't stand it. And then a white yeah. person actually going, oh my gosh, it wouldn't have occurred to me that that wasn't a positive. And then you have a conversation explaining to them why I'm not viewing it as a positive and actually making seeing them do the work in their brain to, to try to adjust. So um, having spaces where it is okay to ask some of those questions, because, you know, if I'm walking down the street, don't ask me that question. That's not the time. But in the, in the kind of advocacy moment or a speaking engagement or something like that, where someone knows this is the time, if you're, if you feel ignorant of something, now is the time to go ahead and this is the safe space to go and ask that you hope that it starts to do some work outside of, um, 
outside of this. Uh, it looks like we got a question on the uh, through our YouTube. It says it's this is from, um, Mona Lisa, who also does a mixed race um, video series on her YouTube channel, Naturally Mona Lisa. She talks oh. about health, 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 uh, health, hair care and healthy things and organic stuff for skincare and stuff like that. So pay attention to her. Uh, but she says, if someone needs counseling, what's the best way to get counseling, especially now during the pandemic? What is a reasonable price for counseling? And how would you select slash settle with a good counselor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I think with the pandemic, there's so many things online now. Um, and I have moved my practice online. Um, I was going that direction anyway, but it just happened to, you know, be the right time to do that. Um, in terms of like vetting your counselor and making sure that uh, they align with what you're looking for and what you're needing as well as, um, you know, legally they're doing the right thing and they are competent in uh, what they're looking for. Um, just doing your research really is, is going to be really important. Um, so making sure that even though it's probably not the most legit thing, checking out their website, checking out their references or their testimonials, checking out like the, the background and everything like that. Um, and then Pricing, it really just ranges. It's mm -hmm. a huge range. And obviously it's helpful um, if they can connect you in with um, some kind of insurance or, you know, something like that. Sometimes that's an option. Um, but most important, um, I guess, advice that I could give is just to make sure and to not hesitate if you feel like the person that you, you have asked to be your mental health professional or counselor um, is, is aligned with you. Um, the work cannot be done as deeply as um, it could be if you were uh, with somebody that does not see you or understand your worldview. So making sure that you do have somebody that, if you are mixed, at least a person that is, uh, you know, one of your mixes or a person of color or, you know, something like that, um, that's ideal. And that's kind of what I found um, that's been important to me. Right. Yeah, and I would say if um, the question is about counseling, but I always like to make sure that there is at least a discussion around the difference between counseling and maybe therapy and yes, therapying <laughs> for maybe like a little bit, whatever is going on in your mind and in your heart is actually impacting your life a little bit. So. Mm -hmm maybe a little bit more serious if I can use that word. So if you really are kind of like, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm more stressed. I'm not sleeping well, like some, something where it's impacting and you're like, I am actually different. I'm not as good as I normally am. Then maybe that might cross you into the line of like a therapist that might have all different you know types of backgrounds. Um, I've had times when I've been seeing both a behavioral therapist and a counselor simultaneously because I'm dealing with my depression or my anxiety and I'm actually dealing with like the toll that it's physically taking, you know, like you described, I'm not eating, I'm not sleeping, I'm not doing this kind of stuff. Yeah. So there's times when you need, you can have more than one. Yeah, for sure. 
So to me, I think that's important. And then I think also, yeah, pricing definitely ranges, especially the region of the country that you're in. So um, sometimes it ranges with experience, with their level of education, um, even with like their notoriety, you know, unfortunately that's the more known they get, maybe the more they might be able to charge, of course. But um, I, I do want to highlight that for therapy, there are a lot of good options, also still all online, but there are companies that are trying to fill this gap of like, okay, I found a really good therapist, but they're really expensive and they don't take insurance. Mm. I, I, I can't go to them. So one I wanted to mention is, it's very new, it's called Ayana. Mm. And Ayana therapy is, um, it started by um, an, African, uh, an African-American man. Um, I think I'm trying to remember where he's from, but um, you know, he's um, African diaspora basically. And she felt that like Brittany was saying, finding someone who shares a background with you is very difficult, especially if you're a person of color, if you're an immigrant, LGBT, if you're mixed race, like whatever. And so he started this thing where you can get online, you can have contact to your um, therapist wherever they are, um, even through the phone, and their pricing is way better because of the way that they're managing their whole little you know, mm. system. They right. can lower the price. And so they really just want to open that door for like, you can't afford it. We got, we got the other, all the others. Mm-hmm. And if you want a therapist that's your other, come here and, and, you know, you can connect. So I just, I think it's worth saying if anybody's watching, you know, Ayana therapy, they, they're, they should be opening or they're already started. Okay. So great resource. Awesome. Uh, we are coming close to the end. So I want to give um, both of you time to shout out your uh, social medias and, and how people can access you. But before we wrap up, um, at the end of every show with a guest, I usually ask the question, what do you love most about being mixed? But specific to this panel discussion, what do you love most about doing the type of work that you do as it relates to mixedness? Hmm. What do I love about doing the work that I do? I mean, my first response is I just like talking about mixed stuff all the time. <laughs> right. I know that's, so much that's like, the heart sometimes that is it. <laughs> I like being able to tell other people and like, you know, just to have them not have them have the eye-opening experience of like maybe they haven't read that book or known about this researcher or hey did you know we've learned this about this group and you know I don't know it's it's, sometimes if you're a holder of information like I said I I don't want to be the holder I I want everybody to know right and you know so to me I think that's one of the most um exciting parts and and what I love the most about what I do is because I, I get to um, spread that information, maybe, you know, little by little, but I get to spread the work that a lot of people have been doing. I mean, there's 
unfortunately, nobody reads research, but it's people have been writing about this stuff since the 90s. And people are still like, I wonder if and I'm like, yeah, somebody wrote about that already. Right. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, because you and I talked about that. Like, I'm like, I know there's like two books that existed in the 90s. And you're like, no, 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 no. Because I basically had two. And I thought that was the only one. <laughs> yeah, I'm all just, yeah, look at this article. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I have a list of books. Let me know. <laughs> um, for me, I think it is the simple awarenesses and the normalizing that happens within my practice and the expansion and growth that comes from it is like, it just fills my heart. Um, it's an, an incredibly, uh, for me, a very rewarding um, vocation and uh, the connections that I make are, are absolutely amazing. And then the feedback that I get is incredible as well. So just, it's really about making that connection that I think is, is most exciting and most rewarding. And, um, well, obviously I, I counsel mixed women, so <laughs> you can see, you can see how that ties in, um, just in itself. So yeah, I think, I think that's it for me. Right. <laughs> All right. Um, tell everybody how to find y'all, um, your websites, your resource guides, if you have them and uh, your social media. Mm -hmm. um, for me, Mixed Mental Health um, is my Instagram as well as www.mixedmentalhealth.com. You can find me there. Um, and yeah, most of my information is going to be on there as well. And just look out for all kinds of new things coming, uh, new programs and um, workbooks and things like that to get you to that next level. Yeah, and I am um, Dr. Jen Syke, so it's all one word with two N's, so D-R-J-E-N-N-P-S-Y-C-H. -N -N, um, so I'm, I'm mostly on Instagram. I, I spend a lot of my time there, but I'm Dr. Jen Syke everywhere, so Facebook, Twitter. Um, and then for therapy, my website is drjentherapy.com. Um, and... Um, yeah, and then for me, what's coming soon is, like I mentioned, this um, a, an online coaching program for parents of mid-teens specifically, and I'll be posting a lot more information about that. I'm just putting the pieces together. So I'm so super excited about it, so I keep talking about it, but I'm awesome. sure you guys will be hearing more when I'm ready for right. it. And I'll go ahead and post those uh, all of your socials and everything in the uh, the notes that'll follow. This video will be available on YouTube going forward, not just for the live stream. Um, so I'll make sure that information is in there. And before we wrap up, I just want to thank you for having this conversation with me and also being continually being connected as as we've met and gotten to know each other a little bit um the sense of community that I have with you in addition to knowing that you're a resource if something happens I I have re I've reached out to you both in different ways um for different things and I I've always appreciated that if I have a person who reaches out to me to ask me a question and I I can throw it to you or you know invite you to participate in the um the hangouts with people and stuff like that. And you've been there and I really, I really do appreciate it. And then it looks like in the comments, um, Mona Lisa oh, yeah. wrote that Brittany George is also the face of Mixed Girl Problems Instagram page for the month of September. So that's dope. I saw that. <laughs> and I clicked to look at something in the link and I was like, hey, 
wait, is this face? Is this her page? And I was like, oh, wait. I'm learning social media. I don't think this is her page. Right. That's awesome. You got it. That's cool. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for watching and participating. And don't forget to be your mixed ass selves. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantly mixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.